Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Becky Calzada and Liz Philippi to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So ladies, thanks for joining me today. And, and if you would just briefly tell us a little bit about your background in the library so that our, our audience knows where, where you're coming from. So I'll go first. Um, so I'm Becky Calzada and I started my library career about 24 years ago. Um, I've been an educator, Texas educator for about 35 years now. Um, and um, becoming a librarian was something I always wanted to do, but being a first generation um, high school and college graduate, it was uh, difficult for my parents to let me go too far away from South Texas. Yeah. So I got as far as Kingsville um, and I became a teacher, which is a requirement um, to become a librarian anyway. So um, I moved to the Austin area about 24 years ago and at that time decided to go back to school. So I went to UT to get my uh, master's in library and information science and uh, got a job as a librarian, an elementary librarian, which is where primarily most of my experiences. Um, so I was an elementary librarian, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven years and um, came into this role as a library coordinator um, almost nine years now. So, um, so yeah, that's my journey, but yeah, primarily in elementary. Okay, thanks. And Liz? So I'm Liz Philippi, and I started my library career back in 1983, which means I've been at this for, um, this is my 39th year. Wow. Um, and I, my educational background was speech communications and theater, which is mainly sixth grade through 12th grade, okay. but I minored in library science, which was a K through 12 um, degree. So my first job was as an elementary librarian in my hometown in Louisiana. Okay. And um, from there, I moved to Fort Worth I ISD and was a school librarian there in elementary at okay. an elementary school for five years. And then um, my late husband and I moved to North Alabama to Huntsville, where I worked for a couple of years as a, a long-term substitute. Um, then I had one year in Knoxville, Tennessee as an elementary librarian. Wow. Um, back about 30 years ago, we, were, we landed back in Houston, Texas, um, where I worked as an elementary librarian and then a secondary librarian in um, Houston in Spring Branch. And then I took a job as the library systems administrator. Okay. And from that position, I transitioned into the manager of library services for Houston ISD. And that was about five and a half years ago. I left there to go to the state library to work as the school program coordinator for um, school libraries at the Texas State Library and Archives. Okay. All right. So with, in Becky's scenario, um, she was always in Texas and yours, you moved around. And I know people are always curious, like what happens with your certification when you go from state to state? Was it an easy transition for you as you moved? It was different. It was different okay. in every state. Huh. Um, and one of the things that I was very good at, because probably because I'm a librarian, um, was researching that before we moved. When oh, okay. I knew that my my late husband was going to be transferred, I started my research right away. Okay. Um, and I will say that getting us getting certified in one state, a lot of states will rest will 
recertification through reciprocity. Yeah. Um, but when I, and that's how I got my Texas certification and my Tennessee certification, I didn't become certified in Alabama because at the time I, I wasn't able to work full time. But when I came back to Texas, um, of course, things had changed by then. And mm -hmm. I did go on to get my master's, which was okay. not a requirement when I first became a school librarian, um, even though I'd taken 24 hours in okay. school library science. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's good to know because people are always curious, like what happened? You know, they're scared to start a degree somewhere because they know they're, you know, may not finish there. So that's, it's always good to know that it's possible, but do your research anyway. Yes. All right. So ladies, let, tell us um, a little bit about when you started out actually in a library, you know, is there a story that kind of comes to your mind? So I'll go first. Um, so I think back to when I first started in elementary library, um, you know, Leander wasn't the size that it is um, today, which is, you know, 42 plus schools um, strong and still growing because we're opening a new school in the fall. Um, when I started my library career, we only had two high schools. I think we maybe had like um, six or seven elementary. We just didn't have, we weren't really big. So we didn't have a coordinator. And one of the things I do remember distinctly was, you know, of course I had a mentor and, um, but because we were singletons, you know, it was really hard to have all the answers to all the questions, you know, to, to your questions right away. Right. Um, and so, you know, um, when I think about just, just at first being overwhelmed, you know, you think you're ready and then you're like, oh, the, um, the kids are asking for certain things and I don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah. Or um, I wonder how you do this on the library, um, you know, computer, you know, whatever. So, so there were lots of questions. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that was, what was helped, helped me a lot was of course, having a really amazing mentor mm -hmm. um, and a mentor that was just welcoming to me to any questions. She never made me feel like my questions were silly. Um, yeah. And we had uh, a weekly time at the beginning. I mean, actually at the beginning was like almost daily. Um, and then when it got better, it went to like weekly and then it went to monthly. Um, but it was just, it just, she's, you know, I still consider her just a really great resource to today, even though she's no longer, you know, working. But um, I think the thing is, is that um, there's just so much to learn and you think, oh, I'm going to get this all in school and no. And I think also too, just even in how libraries have evolved, because when I was working, there was no social media. And I think now, you know, the wealth of things that are out there to help build connection, to help um, strengthen programs if you're open to ideas. And so um, I think that's one of the things that as I think back is just like, I was hungry to learn, um, but I mean, I was pretty much, the resources I had were professional journals and a conference here or there if I could get to one, so. Okay. So all the veteran listeners, you need to reach out to those new people, <laughs> give them that same kind of support because they can uh, grow up professionally and do amazing things just like Becky has done. Um, so, so Liz, tell us something about your early days in the library. So mine is kind of a funny story. Okay. Um, my first job was at a, a, an elementary school that had K through three students. Mm -hmm. And I had always worked at, with high school students, <coughs> excuse me, because my degree was in speech communications. Mm -hmm my educational degree. So my first job, I can still remember the first time a first grader threw up at my feet. <laughs> I looked down at her and said, oh, honey, do you not feel good? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking back, what a ridiculous question. Of course, yeah. I feel good, you know, <laughs> but I did at the time have a very dedicated, wonderful um, library assistant who helped okay. me and held my hand through all those 
yes, you can't use the word paranoid, sweetie, because they will not understand what that means. Uh, days. And I learned to love elementary school, which was great. Yeah, that's good. Very good. And if I sent some advice to my younger self, it would be don't ever lose that passion for what you do. Mm -hmm. And you are not alone. Yeah. Um, just remember, there is always someone out there to reach to reach out to. And although you may not know it, they really do want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Becky? Is there any kind of advice that would have you would have appreciated knowing early on? So I think um, the younger advice, so one of the unique things about the position, my first library position was I was actually the teacher on the campus at the time, a first grade teacher on that campus. And okay. so I came into the library program on the same campus. And so um, one of the things that um, I maybe didn't think about was um, the, the, the rest of the teachers and how they may have an agenda about the things that they want. And so I think the advice I would give to my, my younger self would have been to just uh, remind myself that I didn't have to answer every question right away if they wanted something because the other librarian used to do it, you know, um, but rather to research and see like, are they trying to pull one over on me or, um, or so just, you know, I think to my younger self and just in general, like we can't have all the answers and maybe um, sometimes we need to think through things a little bit before we agree to something mm -hmm. um, because it could, it could unintentionally set a precedent for something that maybe you're not ready to take on or maybe not be best practice or something like that. Very good points. Well, thanks. Thank you both for sharing that. Um, so I've known you two ladies for quite a while and I've always learned so much from you, but just recently I saw that y'all had written an article together um, so I wanted to ask y'all today to let's have a conversation about that article. And it was collection development. Um, so like, how about first somebody share, like, where did this come from? Like the idea for this particular article, or is it, were y'all responding to something, uh, something that happened or call for proposals or where, where did this topic come from? I was asked by now, by knowledge, the Okay. Uh, editor at Knowledge Quest to do it. Okay. And um, <laughs> I immediately thought of Becky. Yeah. Um, because I knew that I have an overview at this point in my career of what collection development has meant to me through my, mm -hmm. my career. But Becky is in the trenches and knows uh, things that are affecting her and our school librarians right now that yeah. would be very important. That's why I begged, pleaded, and you know, promised everything, but my first one, you don't want to have, um, if she would work on it with me. Ah, very good. And I think, um, so, so yes, definitely, um, was asked by Liz to participate. This is, I mean, this is not the first, um, knowledge quest article that I've written. In fact, I would challenge anybody, you know, to consider, you know, publishing, you know, your learning, uh, because I think um, we, I think we presume that everybody else is doing what we're doing and maybe they don't have the same knowledge. And this is one way, first of all, to just get that knowledge out to a, a wider crowd, but also to, to, um, you know, just be engaged in your profession by giving back. Um, but as far as this article goes, you know, she reached out about um, doing something on collection development. And so when we chatted initially, it was about, um, I just said, well, what, what is it we want to do? Because we know collection development can just be such a, just a broad encompassing, I mean, like deep topic. And so she said, well, let's just start with maybe the why and um, how important it is to, um, you know, what the basics. And so that's kind of what we did. We jotted down some questions 
um, you know, kind of got to the heart of, you know, the importance of it, mm-hmm. you know, integrated a little bit about, um, you know, being inclusive and equity and that sort of thing. Um, but then also thinking about the learning that needed to happen for us as professionals and how that learning could transfer um, into our practice. Because I think that's the thing is we can learn and learn and learn and learn. But the most important thing is what are you doing with that learning to um, impact your practice, to impact the kids, to impact your program. And so it was really great to sit down with Liz um, to think about, you know, the Texas um, standards themselves, also thinking about the AASL standards and the collection development implications, and really look at the wealth of resources that AASL has as an organization. Um, We specifically looked at um, a book uh, by Mona Kirby that's just amazing around collection development and I think it to me it's it's a it's a primer that I recommend um, that I to our new people um, um, our new hires and that whenever I talk to somebody or I share you talk about collection development it's just a really good basic to get people going because I think the thing about collection development is it's just there's so much to think about so when you come into a space you see thousands of books and like where to begin and so that kind of gives you some guiding guidance as far as, you know, what to do. So, yeah. And Becky, what is the name of that book? And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. So it's called collection development for school librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if you are an ASL member, you uh, can pay a little bit of a discount, but it's open to anybody to purchase uh, through ALA, but yeah, okay. I can definitely pass that along. Yeah. And we, we will link that. Uh, so listeners, if you, that sounds like a, a book you're interested in, go to the show notes, click on the link, and that'll take you right over to you. So you can read more about it and see the pricing and stuff. Okay. And I would definitely second that uh, recommendation and because it's, it's a really good primer. Um, it's not so heavy and so long and so dense that it will take you forever to get through it. It is a great guide to get started and it is a great guide to kind of lead you through the steps of collection development. Okay. And one of the things that I thought our wanted our, our article to do was talk about how that collection, how the collection development preparation you do when you're learning as a school, as a librarian, a school librarian, how does that play into practice? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is the reality of going into a new library and having to start look at everything and where do I go? How do I start? And how do I move this along in a, a meaningful, good manner? Mm-hmm. And, and if I could add to that too, another thing that we talked about too, is just, you know, really taking a good look at your, about your, your collection, um, sharing the different um, collection um, tools you may have at your, you know, like for instance, you know, like if you are a Follett user, you could import your titles um, to get a collection analysis. A lot of vendors, you know, like Mackin or, you know, Bound to Stay Bound will do, you know, some sort of an analysis. So mm-hmm. how do you leverage those analysis tools? But then also too, how do you look at um, um, taking maybe the old ones out or whatever, but then replacing with newer, more diverse titles and then recommending some, um, su- suggesting some um, diverse resources, you know, like, you know, we also, I think one of the things we shared in this article was the definition of what diverse um, diversity is and that kind of thing too. So I think there's just, it was just a really great opportunity to just, again, build, create a foundation to start, um, you know, to get anybody that's maybe new 
um, launched, but then also too, I think maybe it's just also a good reminder and review for even uh, practicing professionals with a lot of experience to say, oh, you know, I forgot about that part. So let me, yeah. you know, maybe think about that. Yeah. Okay. So let's just go with the scenario of somebody new, like maybe somebody has interviewed, they've gotten uh, word they've been hired and that they'll be starting next fall. So let's imagine uh, they're walking in over the summer, you know, because they, they're so excited. Um, what, what are you going to tell them? Like, what would you suggest for them to do? I'd suggest the first thing they do is a collection analysis. And the second thing would be walk the shelves. Okay. Walk the shelves and see what, what jumps out at you, what is visual, what is going to grab you. Because if you're still passionate about what you're doing, then you're going to see those things first and realize, oh, you know, these old book covers, maybe we should, you know, order yeah. new copies and get something more colorful in here. Yeah. Or there's so many books, a shelf is packed so tight that you can't see or notice anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one collection analysis to give you a good background of what's in there. And two, what does your collection look like? Because until you really know your collection, you won't know Mm -hmm. what direction to take it in mm -hmm. to improve it. Good points. And collection analysis, that's the word, uh, I'm going to say the specific term for what, what Becky was just describing earlier, when you would upload your collection, you know, into Ballet or Mac and or Permabound or Bound to Stay Bound. That, that's, that's what you're looking for, for their tools that do collection analysis. Okay. So Becky, what about you? What would you suggest to them? So one of the things I'm actually kind of going through this right now, because we're working on hiring right now. And I have a couple of people that are super excited and I love, you know, harnessing that excitement. But one of the first things I always tell um, new hires is um, these really important words. You have to go slow to go fast. And so I think, you know, like Liz said, you know, just, you know, yes, leveraging those collection analysis tools, but then I think also watching you can learn a lot about a collection by just studying what the kids are checking out. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot by the books that are just being left behind and going and taking the time. You know, I tell people that the shelves tell a story too. You know, when your entire um, graphic novel selection is pretty much gone, that means there's not enough, you know? What, what are those high volume space um, sections that are getting used? I mean, I think the reports also tell you about age and which is really great. So maybe let's say, I just wanna start with biographies. Well, let's go look at those biographies. Who's there and who's not there that maybe is of interest for the kids. And so I think there's some really like easy things, uh, like, you know, like Liz says the covers. I also think too, like if something looks really old, I always remind, um, librarians that, you know, we are beholden to our taxpayers because, you know, they pay for our schools and they pay for all the materials in our schools. And so I asked them, I said, you need to look at a book and pretend you're the parent. Would you as a parent want to hold something that's really old looking um, and really well loved? You know, maybe we need to get a new one, like Liz says. So I think there's just a lot of things you could think about. But if you're super intentional, instead of just like pulling things like I know for us, we have like a weeding schedule. It's not to say that we're all going to follow that. You know, sometimes you want to go a little bit above and beyond, but I think also to um, just checking like what's being used, what's not being used, you know, of course, checking how many things are on a shelf. And I mean, there's just so many things you can do even just also too, by promoting things and highlighting your collection via some, you know, displays and maybe it's award winners or just whatever, you know, catchy things, you know, you could, you can think of. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And you mentioned, um, actually, I'm going to say one other thing too. 
you you just said the title of another article. The shelves tell a story too. That should be an article. <laughs> That's a very catchy, or, or a t-shirt or something. It's just super, yeah. super, super, super catchy. That is a great idea. Yeah. yeah. But, no, um, okay. I, everything. There's lots of things that tell a story. I'm just like, you, if you pay attention, you, this is yeah. when you have to like be. I call. I tell people like this is when you have to be an anthropologist. You know, you yeah. there's like a shelves can tell a story the furniture in your library space can tell a story. If, if a kid keeps moving something like, and you keep putting it back, maybe you are not putting it in the right place. So it's just th- things like that. It's just studying yeah. behaviors and studying actions and stuff. Yeah. So. Good point. And what are your teachers using and why? Yeah, that's true. You know, so are they using yeah. curriculum needs? Yeah. It's 20 yeah. years old because yeah. there isn't anything newer on that topic. You know, I, I always caution new librarians to read carefully mm-hmm. their first year until they know what the teachers yeah. and, and students are using, yeah. because you don't want to pull a book out of a teacher's hand that they've used religiously for the last 10 years without replacing it with something that is going to be better than what right. you take mm-hmm. away. Yeah. yeah. Not a way to build allies that way. No. <laughs> a lot of people are gung-ho and they want to go in and weed right away, you know, and that can really defeat um, the purpose of what you're trying to do. But mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love, Becky, that you talked about a weeding schedule. We, we did that in the district I was in previously, too. And I often refer people to like the, the Texas State Library and Archives Commission to the crew manual. You know, it's mm-hmm. something kind of nationally used. But can you describe what your what the process your process is of uh, the weeding schedule? Like, is it a monthly thing, an annual thing or like how do y'all? So it tends, so ours is pretty, it's biannual, but I don't think it could just necessarily has to be. I mean, there's certain sections like, you know, fiction might be over a whole year because fiction's really large, but there might be some years that have maybe several, you know, Dewey sections, you know, like zero hundreds, two hundreds, you know, three hundreds is a big one. So it just depends, but yeah, it's like certain years, a certain focus. Um, And then of course there's things like if you still have, you know, a professional section and maybe that's not digital or whatever. So, but I think also too, that just speaks to that, you know, not only do we, we, you know, the physical books, we have to think about the digital stuff too. And if it's getting used or not, I know for us, like, you know, we're big overdrive users. And so we watch, you know, when things are getting used and if something doesn't have a lot of checkouts and it's up for a renewal, we don't, we, we read it because it's not getting the traction. So I think it's, you know, a good reminder to not forget about the digital stuff too. Mm-hmm. That's good. And, and with that uh, weeding, I, I'm reminded of a high school librarian. I knew she would buy caution tape and she, she wouldn't wait till the end of the year. You know, a lot of people will wait and they'll do things at the end of the year. You know, when things are closing down, it could be January or October or whatever. And she would just put caution tape like over the 100s or over the 200s. And the, the kids were, you know, they knew enough to not touch that part. And that way she could just keep this ongoing, you know, and not shut the library down, you know, like so right. happens for people. Well, and I think it, it reminds us that, you know, we think like, it, like weeding needs to be a big event and you do it at once, one time period. And it doesn't like, I think sometimes just running a, a little mini report on say, mm-hmm. like maybe a certain, you know, zero hundreds, like you could go pretty quickly. I know, yeah. you know, having done this so much, you know, I, I work with librarians that maybe it's new for them. And I literally just go in there and I'm just pulling and they're just looking at me like, how do you know? And then I will just literally open the book and say, you start to see a pattern about the age or the way the book looks. Maybe it's an older book and there's, you know, so much print if it's an elementary, say for instance, or it's not, yeah. you know, the, I mean, just little things like that. I mean, you just, can when you open a book and it cracks and you're like, well, yeah, it's probably not been opened in a while. So it's just little things like that, that, you know, experience, 
comes into play, but at the beginning, you know, like getting somebody next to you and saying, can you kind of, kind of coach me through this? Mm -hmm. I think that's also a great idea too, um, to get the rhythm of, of, of how to do it. So, yeah, I will add one thing to that, to the weeding discussion. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely recommend the crew manual, but I also recommend that you bring a colleague in. Mm -hmm. Um, I often tell school librarians that, you know, if you've been in your school library for a while, more than three years, you tend to feel a relationship to those books that may or may not be valid anymore. Um, so bringing someone in who comes in with fresh eyes that doesn't have that Mm -hmm. connection to the book that you might always helps. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I use a, I don't have to clean my own closet. <laughs> I asked my sister to come okay. and she is very good about throwing out all that stuff that I want to keep. Oh, because I wore it once, you know, yeah. well, you know, that was 30 years ago. Let it go. <laughs> I call those the library loves, you know, like, yes. you're like, but I love it, but I, and right. it's like, um, but it's not getting checked out. And I just remind people for that. I, I totally am with you on that list. Yeah. I also tell people that, you know, our libraries are vibrant, busy, active places. We are not an archive. Mm-hmm. An archive is a place where you store old things like, nope. And I bet you somebody probably has that somewhere in the district, like, like you know, as a size arc like ours, but even if they don't, I mean, if you look and you just scan it to see the last, the amount of checkouts and it's zero in the last two or three years, like, I think it's okay. Let it go. <laughs> and that's an important uh, report to run. I think of like the, the checkouts, cause you can yes. run it for like the books that have never been checked out, you know, or less than five or whatever. Right. But, um, that's a super telling report, you know, to get mm-hmm. some insight into things, but yeah, goodness. Absolutely. Okay. So with the weeding, let's think there's going to be the flip side too. So when you do collection development, it doesn't just mean weeding. It's also going to mean acquisitions. So what are some of like the highlights from that y'all could share in that area? Cause I know you started talking about diversity earlier. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that. So describe, um, that side of collection development? Well, I think one of the things that's an easy, I mean, obviously, you know, you definitely want to, you know, look at, you know, be diverse. And some people are doing even diversity audits to see what's there. And there's actually some tools that are coming into play that vendors are, are sharing. Um, But I also know too, um, if you're really paying attention to what's being pulled out, like you really need to pay attention to what's put, being, you know, put back into sometimes some things are an easy exchange. Let's just say like, Oh, I just got rid of some um, like an example, um, the, the Tulsa race um, uh, riots is, you know, what example, you know, the library of Congress just changed the subject heading on that. Cause it's now massacre. Mm-hmm. And so that's an easy weed right there. Um, when you purchase the new one, trade it out and get rid of the old one. And so I think looking at those kinds of things, um, of course, things that are, you know, aged and just old certain sections or like your science section, that sort of thing too. Um, I think in terms of the fiction though, I mean, if, if we think about, and we know like predominantly the history is that there's just predominantly more white centered characters, you know, so how do we, you know, um, make, ensure that we have, you know, representation of our campuses, but I think also too, not necessarily just of our campuses, because let's just say we're in a predominantly, um, in a community that's predominantly white, like you should still have diverse characters because I think they represent the world and we want our kids to have, um, that same rich understanding of each other, Mm -hmm. because eventually they will move on into their world. And so we want them, 
you know, to be able to walk in the shoes and like Dr. Rudinson's bishop says, you know, like, you know, have the windows, mirrors and glass sliding doors to understand what others are are doing or going through. Um, And then I think because it also builds empathy. So just, you know, there, so many vendors have some really great tags and things Mm -hmm. on there, you know, when you purchase. And so I think paying attention to that, if you, if you know, like, oh, I'm lacking and indigenous voices or I'm lacking and, you know, a black voice, you know, so let's, let's look for those specific books and get them in there. So mm-hmm. good points. And, and I would say that is probably one of the things when you're adding to your collection that going to a conference like ASL, TLA or ALA, or even just local conferences in your geographical area is, is a huge plus because mm-hmm. you see what's out there that's new. Of course, we all use um, our, our well-known lists like the Blue Bonnet list and Newberry and Caldecott, but getting out beyond there and, and looking what publishers have to offer, mm-hmm. what's new and what's out there is always a great way to find new, diverse, and interesting titles that you may not hear of or know about in the other way. Yeah. I think also taking a look at like award lists, like I think of, you know, like the Alex Awards or the Morris or um, the Odyssey or, you know, the Cybert or Puta Bel Prey. I mean, I think there's a lot of new rewards. And I think how do we also leverage um, those specific, you know, focuses um, because they could bring in some titles that maybe you haven't heard of um, Mm -hmm. too. So Mm -hmm. definitely. I'm thinking too, like back in the several years ago when I, w- when I was a district level coordinator, even reminding people that we're not the public library, you know, we, we don't have to have everything, you know, remember to, to focus in, you know, on, on the curriculum, you know, that's supported um, for your grade levels, you know, and then where you are, but um, kind of have, and that even gives you a way to ask for additional money, possibly, mm-hmm. like, if your science scores have been traditionally low, you know, then show your principal the list of the science books you could get, you know, if you only had a little bit more money, um, just finding alternative ways to kind of build up your, your collection in that way too. So, right. And maybe it's also, you know, using that same vein to request money, but also to advocate for, you know, digital resources, yeah. something that's ever evolving. I mean, I'm, I love print books. I know we, we're, they'll always be something that's important, but we also know that once it's printed, it's out of date sometimes. And so, but I, what I know is there's just not a strong understanding for the cost of materials. I think like SLJ just recently published um, their uh, recent um, book book prices. And I mean, it goes up every year. And so I, I, one of the things I tell our librarians to do is when they're asking for money, like, let's just say, I'm going to ask my PTA for a thousand dollars. I tell them when they get that a thousand dollars to, and they get those boxes of books or um, to take a picture and thank that, thank the PTA and say, thank you for this a thousand dollars. It was able to buy me 25 books. And, and I know it probably you know, shocks people maybe. And I'm just guessing, I'm just saying a number, but people don't understand the cost per book. And so Mm -hmm. when you, you know, put that cost with a number, it builds understanding for the cost of things because it's Mm -hmm. just not there. And I, and I know PT, I mean, there's, there's so many needs, but when you can show like, Oh, this is going to, this is going to support this particular area of learning or this particular project that always comes up every year. I think it helps you to get the funding because, you know, we never, have enough funding. I always tell people when I'm even meeting, when I used to meet with vendors as a librarian, I had my, my, my purchase list, you know, the one I knew I was going to get. And then I had my wish list and then my, if money falls from the sky list, you know, because I mean, so I had three lists from a vendor sometime because you just never know. But I also know like that wasn't really a higher priority, but 
I knew the kids might like it, you know? So it's just kind of good to be prepared that way because you just never know um, Mm -hmm. when somebody's going to say, Oh, we were giving you $10,000 and you need to spend it by the end of the week. In nineties. I remember being, getting a phone call on Friday afternoon saying, can you have a, can you spend $10,000 by Wednesday? Yeah. Because they had left over title funds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course we don't see that coming around very much anymore. And I would add to what Becky said and say that pay attention to lists from like your national council of teachers of English, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the national uh, organizations for curriculum and say, you know, what are they recommending? Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I I did want to say is that, yes, there can be too many books. Um, I do believe that a smaller print collection nowadays is a better and more attractive library than the days back when I became a librarian and a high school typically had 30 to 40,000 volumes. Mm -hmm. That is not necessary anymore. Mm -hmm. We are not the public library and our informational books can, that information can be gathered from electronic source. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say ESSER funds are what's abounding right now. I'm seeing a lot of people who are all of a sudden being told we have this ESSER money. It's now going to go to this, have your list ready. So make sure all of you listening, have a list ready to go. Always. always. <laughs> always. So, all right. Okay. Well, ladies, is there any kind of closing words just about collection development in general that you want to share with the audience? I think just to close, I would just say, you know, don't feel daunted. I think um, don't be afraid, but also, you know, take it on, but maybe take it in small bites. Mm -hmm. And if you ever have questions, because, you know, you won't have all the answers, find that, that mentor, that experienced person to lean on and ask questions because, you know, I think people feel like, Oh, I should know this. No, you you don't have to know everything. And it's just good to kind of bounce off ideas. And, And I always tell our librarians that said, I, I appreciate when somebody comes to me with a question and they may not have the answer, but they might have some ideas. And they might say, well, I was thinking this. And I love that because they're already kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say, you're actually on the right track. Maybe you can also consider, and I do more like coaching, asking questions, but we do talk about it. And I think it's just good to be prepared in that way, because that'll, that'll um, help to get you to start thinking it as a librarian, you know, but yet you'll get confirmation or, you know, get, you know, feedback about, you know, the direction you're going to. Mm-hmm. I'd have to second that and remind all of the school librarians out there that really our superpower is our ability to share. Um, and we do that widely. We do it well. And there is always somewhere and someone you can reach out to, to get more information. And I agree with Becky. It is a, it's a process. Mm-hmm. And it's not a process that happens overnight. Mm-hmm. And the primary reason for that is because you need to know your community, you need to know your collection, and you need to know your curriculum, the three C's, before you can really tackle collection development in a good, methodical, progressive way. So don't be daunted, you know, give yourself some goals to reach that are small and biteable and digestible and get through those and then keep moving along. And remember, and I really feel this is an important reminder. If you're an experienced librarian and you've been in your school a long time, you need to stop and take a look at your collection and your community and your uh, curriculum with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we tend to get mired in what we've done year to year 
And it's always good to stop and say, okay, if I were brand new to this space, what would I see and what, what jumps out to me? Yeah. So that's just a good way to, to stop and look at things. Mm-hmm. So in the same way you brought your sister into your closet, <laughs> find, yes. find a good friend, a fellow librarian that you can bring into your library um, who can, who's willing to speak the truth to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I also say too, I tell librarians sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's helpful to, to phone a friend and see like who wants to weed. I mean, some people actually love to weed. Like mm-hmm. I actually love to weed and that gets me out of the office too. Cause I, I like to be on campuses, <laughs> but then I also too, for me, it's, it's, I mean, I, it's a game in that, like, I'm like, what's going to be the oldest thing we find here? Cause I found some gems and I'm just, and I, I take pictures to show people for later, okay. just like the things that are on there. If you don't, but I also think too, is um, again, you're learning from that person. And it also, you know, many hands makes light work. So obviously though, you know, you want to be sure it's not too many people. Cause you know, that's that you want to have some sort of control, but mm-hmm. you know, two or three people saying, let's just take, let's take a look at bios or, you know, for today or whatever, but you know, makes it go pretty fast. And you start to see a pattern. I think sometimes too, especially when you're doing stuff like this and taking on projects like that. Yeah. Good points. All right. So um, ladies- I would okay. say one final thing. Yeah look at it as a part of the joy of being a school librarian because collection development is ongoing and it's like, it's like Christmas. Mm -hmm. You're always going to get to open something new. Mm -hmm. It's like your birthday. There's always going to be something you hadn't discovered before. So look at it as an adventure and um, one of those wonderful things that we get to do because Mm -hmm. we're school librarians. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one thing too that sets you apart from someone working in the library at like a paraprofessional level. You know, we, we've been trained, you know, in this area as certified librarians or media specialists, whatever they call it in your state. Um, it's one thing that sets you apart because there's actual methods, you know, to all of this that, that we're talking about today. Uh, so keep up the good work and, and hang in there. But for, for our listeners who are listening to you today and want to connect with you, where will they be able to find you online so that they can learn um, other things that you're sharing about? So you can, um, Specky, so you can find me on Twitter um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at B-E Calzada, C-A-L-Z-A-D-A. Um, I, I have a Facebook and Instagram, but it's personal. So I don't really, I, I will you. say you could probably find like at Leander ISD underscore lib um, for our school, because we do share stuff on our Instagram and that one's open too. So yeah, at Leander ISD underscore lib. I do have a blog of you from the shelves, but I don't really write much there anymore. So it's a little stale, but you know, there's some stuff, mostly it's all about books because I love to, you know, read books, tons of books. Okay. And let's. So- I'm on Twitter and my is at Philippi one P H I L I P P I. Um, and then, um, my Facebook page, I is not personal. So it's, I'm on Elizabeth Philippi. Um, and other, I'm happy to share my email address because I welcome questions from school librarians, whether they're in Texas or not. I'm always learning something when someone asks me something from a different state anyway, but my email address is L-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-I at T-S-L dot T-E-X-A-S dot gov. 
Very good. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fun catching up with you again. And just thanks for all that you share nationally with people and even just, you know, in our own state and just appreciate everything that y'all do. So thank you very much and have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.